Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terror of death has fallen upon me. Fear and trembling has come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Salah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall live out, not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Those are the first um, nine, no, eight verses <laughs> and the final two verses of Psalm 55, which is the psalm appointed for today, Sun, Saturday, December the 18th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're going to be taking a look, continuing our look at the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 9 to 17, the book of the Revelation, chapter 6, verses 1 through 17, and the gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 to 46. So we're, we're moving inexorably towards <laughs> Christmas, towards the, the end of Advent, the time of preparation to receive him with gladness, the incarnation. And so we're, we're moving in that direction. And so we're beginning to see God's plan unfold. And, and in the Zechariah passage, what we're looking at is, is God's plan unfolding for the people who he has returned from Babylon back to the land. And so we're, we're seeing God revealing his purposes for them in, in the gospel, we'll see Jesus telling yet another parabolic way of, of explaining what it's going to look like when God comes in the end, and then ultimately, then we're beginning, we'll see the beginning of judgment proclaimed from heaven uh, in the reading from Revelation. So Zechariah begins with, thus says the Lord of hosts, and remember that I've said that, that Zechariah uses that particular uh, nomenclature the, of God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies, that, that's going to always pretty much imply that there's judgment coming, but it also implies the greatness of God, that he is over all things. So thus says the Lord of hosts, and, and the reason you would want to hear from the Lord of hosts is because it comes with a particular kind of authority. If it comes from the Lord of hosts, it comes with the authority of the one who is over all things. And so you know that he has the power to accomplish whatever it is that he wills. So he says, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. And so we've got Haggai and Zechariah who are prophets who were there at that time. And so what is their purpose of the prophecy, the word the Lord's given them? It's to encourage the people and make their hands strong for the work that they've been given to do. <clears throat> for before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I said, every man against his neighbor. In other words, that there was a time... Before these prophets began to speak, before the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, there was a time when everything was desolate, and there was no money, there was no anything, and there was no protection, there's no rest. But now, 
I'll not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I'll cause the remnant of these people to possess all these things. In other words, before the, the sky was shut up and the, there was nothing to be grown in this place, but now I'm reversing the curse that I put on the ground and on the land because of the sin of my people. I'm reversing that now. And it's interesting that, that the, the comment right there at the end, the vine will give its fruit and the ground will give its produce. And this is the really interesting little part of it. And heaven will give their due. D-E-W, do. So what he's saying there is, is that, that even the do, which is something you can count on, and in, in Judaism there's a, um, there's a debate among religious scholars, rabbinic scholars, about whether or not it's okay to pray for do or not, or, or whether you can take it for granted. And, and does, it, does the fact that you can take it for granted mean you shouldn't pray for it? Because it's just something God does. It's, it's not something that, that won't happen. But here... What it says is, and the heavens shall give their due. So not even rain, even the dew wasn't there. I mean, it's at that level, the curse of God against his people was so great that he says that he has to even reverse the curse of the heavens giving their due, which is one thing that you should and can take for granted. There's, they, there's two things, basically, that they say that you sh- there's no reason to pray for. And one is the coming up of the sun, and the, and the other is dew. But here... God says the curse was so great that even the dew didn't come. And as you've been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so I will save you and you'll be a blessing. So you'll no longer be the byword and the cursing among the nations to say, well, look at them. They're pathetic. Um, No, now you're going to be a blessing in exactly the same way that he promised to Abraham that whoever he blessed would be blessed. He says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. And what he's saying is not just don't fear and don't let your hands shake because you're afraid. No, what he's saying is fear not. In other words, just just don't have fear, but let your hands be strong for the work that you've been given to do. And it's the same thing for us. It's, It's one thing to not fear. It's another to be about the work of doing as well. There's a purpose for not fearing, and the purpose is so that you can do the work that you've been given to do. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I didn't relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. The Lord of hosts is the one speaking, and he is saying fear not in the same way that he said it to um, Joshua at the time of the conquest of the land, is that you're not supposed to be afraid. You're supposed to be strong and courageous. There's a, there's a difference between just being f- not fearful and bring, being strong and courageous. And he's encouraging them to trust him. And that's why fear can go away. If you fear the living God, if you believe that he is able to do all that he purposes to do, then you have nothing to fear because his purposes will be done. But the purpose of not fearing is to be about the work that you've been given to do. And that's why Jesus says, don't fear the one who has only power over the body. Fear the one who has power over the body and also the power to put the soul into hell as well. And so if we're fearing him properly, then we're not fearing man. And we don't need to fear man because we know what the end of that is. And the end of fearing the Lord, following the Lord and obeying the Lord is resurrection. So death doesn't have that power over us. 
So then, okay, what other fears do you have and why do you have those? And are those legitimate fears? So he says, these are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and that make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And it's interesting, this whole idea of uh, rendering judgments in the gates that are true and make for peace. Recently, what we've seen over the past whatever period of years is a desire not for true judgment, but for political judgment. We want to see our side vindicated. We, We don't really care about the facts very much. We care about the things that have inflamed the passions of people. And so the way that it's been framed is more important than the truth. And those judgments don't make for peace. Period. End of sentence. It's it's what we see again and again and again. It's what we've seen for the last couple of years. Is is that true judgment is 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 being withheld because of the fear of public reprisals. And it's got to stop. The Lord has to judge us because we're failing to do true judgments. And and it matters that we do those things, but sometimes we can pretend that it doesn't, but ultimately we'll pay the price for that. In the gospel, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So this is judgment. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. You notice that the king says this. So, so the, the son of man comes in glory with his angels. He's sitting on his throne. And here what it says is the king will say to those on his right. So the son of man is king. And then he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this has always been God's purpose, is that you would inherit a kingdom, even before the foundation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's the reason that you're doing this. And why did you do those things? It's because you believed. He says, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see you a stranger? We see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you. And then when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So love your neighbor. (laughs) It's simple, but love isn't just be warm and well fed. No, it's providing for the needs of our neighbors. Whatever they need, if we have the ability to provide it, then we're bound to do so, and we're bound to care about one another in thought, word, and deed. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the first judgment is on the devil and his angels who are thrown into that eternal fire, and now those who are on his left are judged and and placed in that place with the devil and his angels, the ones who rebelled utterly against God and rejected him as God in spite of the fact that they knew far more than we do. He said, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. Naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you didn't visit me. 
Then they'll also answer, saying, Lord, why, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick and in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he'll answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, does that mean that doing those things make us righteous? And in Anglicanism, one of the most controversial things you can ever tell people is, is that somebody is not a good person simply because they do, quote, good things. And, and that really gets people upset. But in our 39 Articles of Religion, one of the things we say is, is that good works, quote, good works done before salvation are not actually good works because they're not done for the glory of God. There's too much of us in them. And if they're not done for the glory of God, and if they're not done in obedience to the commandment to love one another as he loves us, then they're not properly or strictly called good because there's too much us in those deeds. And so it's, it's those things that are done for the glory of God, but done in obedience to his word and his commandment to love your neighbor. So it's, it's the obedience to the commandment rather than just simply trying to be a nice person and coming up with your own morality and ethics. It doesn't mean you're a bad person to do those things. It just means those things won't save you if they're done for the glory of, not done for the glory of God. In the <coughs> Revelation reading, Now watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures then say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. We don't know exactly what his mission is. That's all we know at this point. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Awful. Awful, awful, awful worldwide war now made possible. Peace is taken from the earth. It's God's province, peace is. And he takes peace from the earth. And then people now slay one another. Well, we don't live in times of great peace most of the time. There's very rarely a time when peace could be said to be on earth. But it's what the angels wish and pray for at the birth of Jesus. Peace to men of goodwill. And so here it's taken from the earth. And if you think it's bad now, imagine that. So when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. There's a famine on the land, in, in the world, and everything is expensive, more expensive than it ever has been. Does that... Hmm. That's all I've got to say about that. And do not harm the oil and the wine. And so there's a limitation on the justice here. There's a limitation on the judgment, sorry, that, that's given here is that certain things can be touched and other things not touched. It's to get the attention of people. Does he have your attention? Is he getting your attention? When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. 
So again, there's a, there's a circumscribed judgment. It's over a fourth of the earth. So it, it again, it's, are you seeing? Are you hearing? You know, it, to kill with sword and famine and pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. It, can we see these things in our day? We can see them in every day. I mean, that's the, the bottom line is you can see these things in every day. But as we become more and more like Babel, as we become more and more um, desirous of exalting ourselves and building a monument into the heaven to make sure that our name is great, as humanity becomes more and more enamored of itself and its own, quote, progress, the greater this danger becomes. Because God has to be God. And he has to get our attention, and he has to shake and rattle and roll our own self-sufficiency, self-reliance. No, he's got to take that away from us, more often than not, in order to get us to be the kind of people that he wants us to be, to get our attention. It's got to be hard for us, and so that's what's happening here. And he's basically saying, how about the rest of you all, not the fourth of the earth? How about you? Do you have your eyes open? Are you seeing these things? Do you even care about these things? Are you so self-satisfied that you're not even worried about those people who are dying from famine and pestilence and plague? And I think we see that in this great wealth transference that's occurred in over the last 18 months, two years, whatever it is now. Um, the rich have gotten massively richer and seem to care less and less about the people. And then when he opened the fifth seal, we've already gone through the four living creatures who could say come, right? So uh, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. In other words, the martyrs. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge your, our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so there's this delayed judgment, but it doesn't mean there's, that, that it won't be judgment ultimately. And they're crying out for justice and for vengeance because of what they had to, to deal with, what they suffered at the hands of men in the same way that Jesus suffered at the hands of men. And they suffered for their testimony to the Lamb. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So there will be more martyrs. And it's the same thing that you see when God tells Abraham that the people are going to be in Egypt for 400 years because the sin of the Canaanites had not yet filled the land. There's a, there's a fullness of sin that has to come before that judgment is poured out. But in the meantime, they're given these warnings of these first four judgments that come. And so, and yet they persist in sin, is the point. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. And the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. In other words, everything in the heaven, all the ways that we would navigate outside of God through the stars, the moon, the sun, and all that kind of stuff, we would navigate ships at sea. We would know which day it was and what time it was and all that kind of stuff. All the, the remaining ways of navigating life are shut down. And now what do we do and what do we know? What do we know? We, we think that we've become so clever at navigating seasons and navigating all of life, 
by these signs in the heavens that we can count on in the same way we could count on the dew, those are gone. Now what do we do? So we can't be self-sufficient. He took away what we would even have thought of as self-sufficiency as being taken away by the removal of all those other aids that belong to him. And he created all those things. And then the sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was vanished from its, and removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And you know the answer to that. You can. If you're standing in Christ Jesus, they, they would rather have the rocks and the mountains fall on them than turn to him and trust him. That's the hardness of heart that comes upon them. They recognize this judgment, but they refuse to turn to him. And so we can stand is the answer to that. If we stand in Christ Jesus, then in this hour, we too can stand and greet him.